Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, producer Jonah Primo here, and welcome to Principle of Charity, where we inject curiosity and generosity back into our conversation on big social issues. This is part two of our conversation with Krista Tippett. In part one, Emil approached the concept of wisdom from a more analytical lens, so go ahead and listen to that if you haven't already. And now in part two, Lloyd's going to meet Krista on the couch for some personal and edgy questions. And if you like what you hear today and want to help us on the mission to inject curiosity and generosity into difficult conversations, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also show your support on our socials or your socials and do what you can to spread the word. Enjoy. Krista, our podcast tries a little to pursue and get closer to the truth, and we like to examine the alternative. And in that vein, you've written a book about becoming wise, about wisdom. You've also written about the importance of a life of inquiry, self-reflection, valuing the mystery and ambiguity of the human soul. What are the main arguments for you against wisdom as an aim in life? And and where is wisdom unhelpful? (laughs) Okay. I've never been asked that before. (laughs) Uh, Well, I I don't know. I'm not sure that it would ever be true that it is not, that it is unhelpful to be a wise person, but I certainly think that wisdom is not always the most relevant muscle right? I mean, there are times that what we're called and invited and what is needed is that, is that rational, materialistic thinking. I think wisdom is an orientation rather than a discipline. Mm. I think that where wisdom comes in is, I think sometimes what is invited, what is needed is a a rational decision or a pragmatic action. But I still think that that if wisdom is present in the in the person or persons who are engaging that situation, they're just going to be pondering what is to be done a little bit differently. When you were chatting to Emil, you spoke a little bit about, you know, when we meet, we sort of meet, maybe I haven't got the exact words right, but we sort of meet as animals. We, we, mm-hmm. there's a, there's, there's yeah. a fear. We have to assess each other. It's, it's, yeah. it's instinctual. Yeah. It would seem to me that, Part of what wisdom is when when you were talking about it is also an internal reflection. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a pondering as you you know, you use the word. And I would assume that in situations where you are faced with immediate threat or where the context relies on instinct, being wise in the way you've spoken about it may be the least wise thing to do. I could see that. I also think that in those situations 
certain parts of us take primacy and probably override the the impulses of of wisdom. Could I acquire wisdom by reading your book? <laughs> or do I, or do I have to have experiences? There's reading a book or taking in a teaching and then there's metabolizing that. I think wisdom emerges from that metabolizing, from not just ex- just encountering a notion but practicing it. And again, I think the proof of that is when that turns up in that life, metabolizing that teaching so that it so that it transmits to someone else. And and probably not just through words that are spoken, through how it is manifest. This segment of the show is is really on the couch, but I, I sometimes like to be on the couch myself and get the counsel of our guests. We had a previous podcast where Emil, Jonah, and I were on the couch, and we were talking about opinions and our opinions of any value. And, you know, we do talk a lot about forecasting. I think I've got to the dawning realization more and more that I feel like everything I know turns out later to be wrong. (laughs) I feel like sometimes I know almost nothing. Am, Am I becoming wise or am I just becoming more insecure? No, no, you're becoming wise. Ah. That is a hallmark of wisdom. It's knowing what you don't know. I mean, this is not good for my self-esteem from a security point of view. I mean, this, this feels like, you know, I'm going backwards uh, sort of emotionally. I, you know, I just don't feel as confident about anything I say. Yeah, well, try to relax into that. And, uh, I think the more relaxed you can get about it, the better you'll okay. be. And everyone around you will benefit. Okay, good. I'll take that counsel. Now let me get back to you on the couch. What provokes a lack (laughs) of wisdom in you personally? Oh, my gosh. Do I think I'm wise? That would be a question. Okay, well, that's a good question. Do you think you're wise? (laughs) I I think being wise is, is like being a mystic. You know, if anybody tells you they're a mystic, you really have to doubt it. And I think if anybody tells you that they're wise... It's, it's problematic. So that's kind of a strange, mysterious thing about us. Mm. You, you come across as somebody who's incredibly driven, and yet you speak a lot about compassion and listening. H- how do you remain compassionate and kind when you're so driven? I'll, I'll take that as an assumption, my, my assumption that you are. I, I certainly was very driven when I was young. It helped me create what I've created with the show, and as is true with humans, that drivenness was, you know, compelled by my wounds and insecurities. And our wounds and insecurities, if we walk with them, are also sources of our ability to be compassionate, Mm -hmm. to be attentive to the pain that may not be showing itself directly, but is showing up in the world around us. But I think that across time, and and partly because, you know, things have gone wrong, and, you know, I, I'm somebody who's experienced depression, and um, I think that I think that I have kept working on, on that possibility mm. Of, mm. of the compassion mm. emerging from some of those same things, which actually weren't good for me in all of that drivenness. Mm. Did you, you know, the, the depression you experienced, I mean... It, it seems that it's given you a renewed appreciation of life, sort of in the, in the way that, you know, the work of Tadeshi talks about post-traumatic stress growth or post-traumatic growth. You know, when you reflect on your depressions now, your depressive episodes, did they give you a renewal or did they just sort of make you more insightful? I'm always hesitant to speak about it and to, to say that it, 
it gave me a renewal. Like it, it, it feels important to be cautious with language like that because in the moment of depression and even for a long time after, I just, I just don't think it's possible. You know, it's, it's not, it's not a good, it's not something you'd want yourself or anybody else to go through. But what it did is it opened me to more truth about my life and about myself and about, you know, my, my shadow side, my, my demons, the, the, the things that I, that I hadn't wanted to face, but if they, if they press you all the way down to the earth, you Mm. know, you, you can make a choice to see Mm. them. Mm. And so I think, you know, over time, over years, you know, at some point I would say, yes, I was renewed by that. I was also fortunate in the help I got, but that renewal was, you know, very hard one. And it's not so much that the depression renews you, but, but it is possible to, to move through that, uh, and find in it Mm. what, what you would later call renewal. You know, as you were speaking, it sort of dawned on me, we in this podcast open up, we, we trying to move to the truth, not the fight. You know, we've spoken about science as a mechanism to, you know, help us get to the truth. And then I, you know, I heard your words that your depression sort of helped you get more to the truth. And that was another mechanism. Can you talk a little bit more to that? I mean, how did your depression help you find more of the truth? My depression, which I would eventually understand, was very much occasioned by the way I had kind of survived my childhood and how these survival mechanisms had actually powered me and, and, you know, helped me get through that and, and actually given me a lot of good tools for making it in Mm. the world. But at some point it was, it was completely exhausting to live that way. And at some point those survival mechanisms had really stopped being to my benefit. It was, it was a too hard a way to Mm. live. I lived in a family where we told a certain story about how happy we were And it just wasn't true. But as a child, I had, you know, you cling to those narratives. Mm. So it it really was kind of telling the true story of the emotional, real difficulty and deficit, telling the whole story and then and then finding a way to live with that story. And and how did how did that being the truth invite me to live differently with myself? Mm-hmm. I often think about are there certain people who can find ways out of trauma and depression easier than others. Now, you know, one of the key factors, of course, I think that we do know is the level of support you get after a traumatic event or after a depressive episode or during the depressive episode matters so much to whether, you know, people recover or not. But it's it's almost as if there are some maybe personality characteristics that are just helpful as well in doing so, you know, stuff that you you've touched on but, you know, whether openness or agreeableness or conscientiousness, I think in the research would indicate that those give you a better start when you're dealing with depression or, or a bad event. W- would you agree that there, there might be personality traits that sort of just give you that little bit of advantage in finding spiritual renewal? What is, what is it they call They talk about ego strength, mm. right? Psychologists talk about ego strength, and it's kind of a mysterious thing. And, and it can also be a gift of parenting that may have been imperfect, but still there was, there was a 
you know, a certain amount of love and safety. I'm again, I'm coming back to this, this, I'm with these neuroscientists here and a lot of them have worked on trauma and early childhood development. And, you know, there's, there's language they're using here about, you know, the possibilities of rejuvenescence, um, of resilience. And it, I think it's so important for us to know that we're not we're not doomed forever, yeah. right, by our wounds. Trista, we have a game that we tend to play on on uh, this part of the podcast. It's called Net Positive, Net Negative. And I'll throw out a phrase, or if you could just very quickly say Net Positive, Net Negative, and tell us very briefly why. Are, are you up for it? Yeah. Okay, well, let's, let's go. Clichés. Net negative, negative, negative. Why? <laughs> Well, look, every, every cliche has some truth in it, right? It arose because it was saying something. But uh, too many uh, really important things become cliches, and then the important things get watered down. Mm. You know, love, the word love. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, the story of Adam and Eve. Oh, Whew. I would say that's a net positive because I've spent time in that story and there's so much going on, but it, po- possibly a net negative in terms of how it's been interpreted and applied. Okay. Monasteries. <laughs> net positive, for sure. I think places that are secretly holding our world together, full of human beings and therefore uh, subject to all of our flaws and failings at times, but we need places where... The point is dedication. We need people praying on behalf of the rest of us, including those of us who aren't mm-hmm. praying. The Kardashians. <laughs> well, I would say net negative, but my daughter loves them. And I have come to see that somehow it's not completely unhealthy. Uh, so maybe I'm neutral on that one. Okay. Astrologists. You know, I'm, I'm trying to stay intrigued. I... I'd probably say net po- net positive. I, I see a lot of interesting energy around that. Karl Marx is a philosopher. Uh, net positive. He's coming back. Karl Marx was writing about us. He wasn't writing about feudal Russia. Mm, mm. I'll do one more. I have to, you know, uh, th- this is more on your journalistic past and, and your experience in, in the Cold War. Boris Yeltsin. <sighs> Well, you know, he seemed good at the time, but I've learned so many terrible things. I feel like I'm, he was responsible for the, the oligarchs. So maybe maybe not negative. Okay. I want to ask <laughs> you, just coming back to the monasteries, and, you know, some people seem to retreat from life to learn wisdom. Is, is this a smart thing to do? I think that's sometimes the right move. I think solitude is... Uh, I think solitude is a virtue and any of us might be called to solitude, even to the point of retreat. Mm. I think we would be probably much healthier communally if, if that were more possible for more of us to follow that impulse at Mm. times. Mm. When you were speaking to Emil and, and, in your books, you put so much store in questions. You know, your I think your comment is that answers rise and fall based on the questions. So, you know, yeah. simple questions get simple answers. Combative questions get combative answers. When you are working on your podcast, when you are interviewing your guests, what's the Krista Tippett way to make sure you are asking good questions? What's the process that goes through your head to say, you know what, that's a good question and that isn't? Are you a Star Trek watcher? No, I'm actually not, but but I'm sure most most of our listeners are. Well, well, 
I I call my interview preparation method the Vulcan mind melt approach to interview preparation. Try to prepare so that I know not just what someone knows, but how they think. And 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 one one of the one of the results of that is that I can ask questions that are interesting to them. Mm. It's kind of a second impulse. The first impulse is, what do I want to know? And that, I think that has become instinctive for me across time. It wasn't in the beginning. You, you've also spoken about evil and kindness. Why is evil more riveting than kindness? It's because of our brains. It's because of our amygdalas. It's because fear, it, because we are exquisitely designed to stay safe, right? Our, our, our brains are keeping us safe. And so they keep us on the alert for, for what is dangerous and threatening. Again, it's something that we need to honor and respect, but we also must evolve to not let it define us. And I think in this world now, just gone through this global pandemic, you know, our, our fear reasonably, we have been living in a, in a state of fear. And I think that is part of why we're so hyper-reactive to everything. And, you know, we're, we're, we're fractured, we're fragile. Mm. So it's a natural thing, but that's not the only thing that's natural to us. And I, you know, when I talk, think about the callings now, it is, is partly to rise to our higher cognitive capacities because that too is available Mm. to us and, and be able to hold that Mm. also together with other things that are innate to us and powerful. And and the only one that is as big as fear is love. Yeah. To be kind, but equally to be curious, you have to have a tolerance of anxiety. You have to be able to tolerate uncertainty, which is why, you know, why I think polarization is so much more comfortable because it closes down any uncertainty or, or anxiety. Why do we struggle to be compassionate sometimes to the people closest to us? It's the same reason it's hard for us to be compassionate towards ourselves, because the closer we are, the more uh, the complexity and contradiction and strangeness mm. of being human is in its full, full glory. You, you sort of have a, you have a smile on your face and it just seems one of the things, I, I don't know if you'd agree, but for me, when I've had tough times, a sense of humor has been sometimes the, my absolute savior, the ability just to laugh at the situation or even at my stress or even at my own depression. Why is a sense of humor so underrated psychologically, do you think? Gosh, I don't know. I underrated it myself for many years, but I'll tell you, I don't know a wise person who does not know how to laugh at themselves. And, and I think on that note, you know, you've interviewed uh, Archbishop Tutu. I, I, I yes. worked with him a little. He was a massive role model for me. He, he was just somebody who could combine humor, spirituality, and activism together in the most incredible way. He was just a standout on humor yes. for me. He was just so funny. Really, really funny yes. man. I, I really would recommend to our audience your books. They are just uh, phenomenal. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you. Know, we've you. been trying to get you on the podcast for a while now, Krista, as you know, so I'm just really grateful we've managed to. Wow. It was wonderful for me. If you enjoyed that show, remember to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you soon for another episode of Principle of Charity. Here's a word from our friends at The Ethics Centre. The Ethics Centre is an independent not-for-profit that for over 30 years has advocated for a more ethical society. 
We're a proud partner of this podcast and its spirit of curiosity and generosity. Through all our work, we bring people together, create space for difficult conversations, and encourage all to live and act according to their values. Check out our website for free access to articles, podcasts, and videos that unpack the complexities of everyday life at www.ethics.org.au.